Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Hello, and welcome to another episode of IRI Growth Insights Podcast. Today is, for me, a rather special topic on sustainability. Um, IRI and NYU's Stern Center for Sustainable Business have just wrapped up another round of research um, on sustainability and the consumer. You can find the full report or a webinar on our website at iriworldwide.com. But this is kind of near and dear to me because I worked with our guest today, Randy Kronthel Sacco, a senior research scholar at NYU's Stern Center for Sustainable Business, which I'm going to be referring to as um, CSB from now on. So pay attention. But this is ongoing research. We've had a four-year partnership with, um, with CSB to support its Sustainable Market Share Index. And again, you can find that on the CSB website. So Randy, you want to throw out a URL or a, how people can go there? Yes. Google NYU Stern Center for Sustainable Business, Sustainable Market Share Index, and click on the 2021 new report. There you go. So we've leveraged some of that data and then layered in some rich consumer survey data to really learn not only the degree to which consumers are buying sustainable products, but what they're buying and why they're buying. And today, Randy and I are going to be talking about that and why it's so relevant for CPGs. And to me, it is. It's like we're all looking for ways to grow our business in this, especially in these really uncertain volatile times, and sustainability is definitely a growth engine. So Randy, um, welcome and thank you. Um, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So give us a little, just a real brief rundown on what some of the sustainable market share index data includes and how we went about the, the big research. Great. So by way of background, uh, as Joan mentioned, I am a senior scholar at Stern Center for Sustainable Business, but I did spend 30 years uh, in brand in uh, at Johnson & Johnson and prior to that at Kraft. And when I joined Stern, I asked the typical question that every good marketer should ask, which is, what is the share of sustainable products? What is the share of your respective business? And what I found is there really was no data reporting broadly what the share of sustainable products were and how they grew. And I reached out to my wonderful partners, IRI and partner in crime, Joan, uh, to uh, develop a partnership where we would have access to the data and be able to look at uh, and evaluate what the share would be. Uh, we painstakingly uh, looked at 250,000 SKUs to see and identify uh, which products make sustainable claims on package. Uh, we chose packaging because it's ubiquitous, meaning everyone can look at the pack and know, hear, see what 
markings or certifications are on the pack to suggest that it is sustainable. Um, and that is opposed to, let's say, advertising that's very targeted. We identified 36 categories that were representative of uh, total CPG, some of the largest categories, but also some smaller categories that were included to make sure that we had adequate representation of all key categories. These 36 categories make up about 40% of all CPG, so absolutely uh, a statistical sample with a small standard deviation of error. Yep. And I, I know like we stayed away from a couple things, you know, we stayed away from natural because there's not really a definition there. We stayed away with from private brands, which is huge and also an opportunity there, but um, that's a really hard one to track because your process is so manual. I mean, you are looking at each and every product to see what's on there. Um, and we also don't really look at the recyclability of the packaging, um, even though we do ask about that in our survey. So one of the things that I wanted to point out is, you know, we're here to kind of talk about, have a conversation about the the case for how doing good is good for business. But I think for us too, it's so important um, to learn what the consumer thinks. And we know from our survey that 77% of consumers believe it's important. Um, sustainability is important when they're buying things like groceries, when they're buying personal care items, when they're buying, you know, everyday household items. And that has risen year over year, even in an inflationary period, it's up eight percentage points from 2021. So this is definitely something that's that's here to stay. Um, but Randy, tell us a little bit about what you found that supports the business case for, I mean, obviously consumers should be part of your business consideration, but Tell us a little bit more about the business case for sustainability. Sure. Uh, well, first, uh, when we first started looking at this share, um, what we found in 2000, as far back as 2015, that close to 14% of all purchases of CPG were what we called sustainably marketed products as defined uh, by the criteria that we just discussed. And in 2021, it's up to 17%, so grew about four percentage points over the past six years. What's been particularly stunning, however, is that that 17% actually contributed to over a third of the growth in CPG, so punched far above its weight class, as uh, they, people say. So 17% uh, equated to about 32% of the growth of the category. Typically you'd see share of market and share of growth almost the same, but here we're seeing that it's two times as large. And this is particularly important um, given the increase in purchases of CPG during the pandemic. Um, moreover, what we found is that sustainably marketed products actually grew 2.7 times faster than the non-sustainable products. Um, if you look at a six-year category annual growth rate for sustainably marketed products, it was over 7%, uh, specifically 7.34% uh, six-year category annual growth rate, so year on year, um, which uh, is outpaces the market as a whole at 3.45%. And 
and certainly outpaces conventionally marketed products, which came in at 2.76%. That is phenomenal growth. Truly phenomenal growth. I love that it's just 17% of the market, but it's driving almost a third of the growth. That just is mind boggling. And it's not just a one-off, as you said, even with the huge spike of 2020 and into 2021. That's amazing. But we know it's not even across all those categories. So talk to us a little bit about some of the categories where there's a much higher penetration of sustainability marketed products. Yeah, it's been interesting. So when I, uh, we broke it into buckets, high share, medium share, and lower share of sustainable products as a percent of their category. And I've been fascinated on what's happened over time, but clearly uh, the three categories or three areas that have really uh, stood out include dairy, which is basically milk, yogurt, and cheese, uh, personal care products, so skincare products, soap, et cetera, and tissue, toilet tissue, and bath tissue. Those really uh, have the highest shares, and they didn't necessarily when they started, but what happened is the brand leaders started introducing sustainable uh, attributes into their products, and it became almost table stakes for the category, and then everyone needed to follow suit. So when a brand leader takes the lead, or even in some cases, private label takes the lead on some of these sustainable uh, attributes, uh, everyone follows, and it really makes a difference. Yeah, it really changes the whole supply chain when someone kind of cracks that code, doesn't it? Yeah. So one of the things that we talk a lot about, obviously, because of the consumer research, is, you know, the the purchasing of it. But I was kind of surprised at the lack of uniformity in the way consumers define some of the, you know, sustainability attributes or sustainable attributes. You know, it's there's environmental, there's social, there's economic there's no, just as there's differences across categories, there's really differences in how consumers define um, the attributes they identify as being sustainable. So in particular, environmental is really big. You know, that's most consumers think of things like renew, reuse, recyclable, or conservation of resources like water or energy as being sustainable. Whereas fewer um, identify like social messages, like things like fair trade or um, human rights. And that to me points to what I would say is almost an opportunity for more messaging for some of these companies to obviously not, we, we're not looking for anyone to greenwash, but to kind of promote some of the good that they're doing, because particularly with young consumers who I see are driving a lot of these sustainability initiatives, it's going to be increasingly important. So tell me what you think about that. Like, what's your comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I find that interest, incredibly interesting. The um, It is clear from a variety of data sources that support this IRI survey that consumers do believe environmental is most connected with sustainability, which is encouraging because the planet may be in peril. Uh, but in addition, I I just want to reiterate your comment around younger users, which we will absolutely be discussing later, I assume. But they 
they're conscious consumers. They definitely want to be doing the right thing and they're the future uh, consumer. So it is something to take note. Yeah. And, and for our purposes within the survey, we really were looking at millennials and Gen Z. You know, millennials who tap out at age 41 are far more likely to be ahead of a household than Gen Z. But the two groups really follow similar um, purchase patterns, similar behaviors, similar, to your point, consciousness. So, yep, we're going to definitely get there. Um, another thing that that you really, your sustainable market share index really points to is the premium that people are willing to pay for a lot of sustainable sustainable products. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, the what's interesting is that the that consumers expect sustainable products to be more premium. So the survey data does support that consumers believe sustainable products are more premium than conventionally marketed products. Uh, and the premiums have range anywhere from 8% to 130 130% over their respective categories. So big increases, uh, but it does vary a lot by category. Yeah. And I would even say like, I just want to give a caveat for that 136%, which is for carbonated soft drinks. That's kind of an outlier to me only because there's not a lot of competition there. So it is, and and and, and hap- it happens in carbonated beverage to have a very small share. I do wonder if the and some work that we'll be releasing in the next year or so, whether the if the gap was lower, if the share would increase, and it's something we we have interest in understanding. Yep, and I think that like like let's talk a little bit about that ease of you know buying some of these products because. You have already mentioned the growth from, say, 2015 in that, you know, how much faster um, sustainably sustainability marketed products are growing compared to their conventional counterparts. And part of that is because there's just more products to choose from, um, maybe not in carbonated soft drinks, but in a, some other categories. And consumers see that, you know, 40% of consumers are saying, yeah, there's more out there. So, um Let's talk a little bit about the ease of purchase for some of these, because it's different both in-store and online. I think it's even easier online, isn't it? We took a look at whether sustainably marketed products for individual categories perform better online versus in-store. We hypothesized that they would because the demographics of sustainably marketed products, meaning the younger users, as you point out, are uh, tend to be shop more online than an older user, that they're more tech savvy. But in addition, uh, there's more real estate online to discuss the sustainable profile of a product than perhaps a small package in store. Uh, and the retailers are coming into the mix to communicate the better, more sustainable purchaser. Amazon just launched their Climate Pledge Friendly certification to move consumers to more sustainable uh sustainable products. Uh, You have Sephora with its clean beauty certification and Walmart and Target have come in as well. Uh, And in fact, the data bears that out. Sustainably marketed products do perform better online than in-store. With uh, coffee being an interesting example, coffee has a 13 
percentage point higher share online than it does in store. And that's off a pretty high base. And that's one of those products that's pretty easy to, you know, get a subscription for. So that makes a lot of sense. I do think I just want to dig in a little bit more because some of the survey work that we did found that that online purchase could be a lot easier. You know, that um, obviously, as you mentioned, younger consumers, about 22% of millennials say that finding sustainable products online is easy, you know, typically easy. Um, about 70% overall say that it's sometimes easy. And that to me is saying, hey, you could do a better job with messaging because online, those retailer platforms in particular, not so much the brand platforms, but the retailer platforms are where people are going to find out, you know, to find product information. And we definitely have you know, consumers telling us, here's what I want to learn, particularly online. I want to find out more about the ingredients, like what is and isn't in a product. I want to know the origin. Where are these products from? And again, for online, I want to know, how are you going to send them to me? What does that packaging look like? Is it recyclable? Is it biodegradable? What does that look like? So I think that to your point, it's great that so many categories are doing well online, but I think it's another um, messaging opportunity. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. So one of the things that we're seeing as well is around innovation. And you know, of course, I do our new product pay setters every year. So I'm thrilled to see that both overall from your work at CSB, that there are more new products with sustainability marketed attributes, but then we're also seeing it in new product pace setters. I mean, it's made a huge leap from about 10% of all pace setters, which are just the top 100 food and the top 100 non-food products in sales from like a couple years ago to 28% now. So people are out there seeing this stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. This has been fascinating for, for us. We took a look at new product launches from 2017 to 2021, and new product launches could be anything from a new product to a new variant. The reason we wanted to look at that is that we wanted to understand whether sustainability was being built into the new product pipeline and innovation uh, in a way that perhaps is not happening with an existing product. And we were so delighted to see that every year, the number of new products that include sustainable benefits has increased. And in 2021, almost one out of every two new products included some sort of sustainability communication. So even if they are, even if a manufacturer isn't reformulating their conventional products or their legacy products that have been out for a long time. They're certainly taking note of the trends and sustainability and building it into early stages of their new product development. And that's not to say that legacy products aren't being reformulated. They are, uh, but the new product piece is just so stunning. Yeah, I tend to think of like those legacy products as being a little bit more challenging because I don't think manufacturers are anxious to call out what wasn't in a product or what wasn't a product that might not be favorable to the brand. Um, I can think of like, you know, all the ups and downs of like salt content, you know, over the years where manufacturers had to, had to walk a fine line in, in terms of how they wanted to promote that new or added benefit to shoppers. So 
I completely see that. But I, I, I also think it's super exciting for some of these large manufacturers launching new brands. Um, it, it's absolutely, whether you're a small startup, entrepreneurial company, or even some of these new brands from very large manufacturers, I'm totally with you. There's going to be some kind of a sustainability attribute um, built in, and that's very heartening, as you say. I would love the legacy brands to communicate their changes in ingredients that are more sustainable so that consumers are aware that these companies and brands are making leaps. As we discuss the future consumer cares, so it is important to at least, even in the profile of the product that they communicate online to communicate some of these changes, because if not, these brands will become obsolete over time. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, consumers are not just looking at the products. They're looking at who's behind the products or what company is behind the products. And I think that that ESG, you know, that overall environmental, social, and governance, right? Did I get that right? That, that, that is more important. So as these big companies refine their commitment to ESG, that should be part of their marketing message. And I think that goes back to some of that, um, you know, more of a social or governance messaging that might not resonate as much with consumers right now, but is growing in importance. And it's a great, great message. So, Randy, as we wrap up, let's talk about some of the opportunities um, for brands and companies and retailers to get to experience more growth with sustainable products or offerings. Um, so what are some of the categories that you see that are are ripe for innovation? Well, what's been interesting is that when you look across the three buckets that we had identified earlier, the ones that have high share, the ones that have medium share, and ones that have low share of sustainable products as a percent of their category, they've moved over time and always to the right. So some have jumped these different buckets. And the ones that have jumped either, as we discussed earlier, have the market leader or an important player adopting sustainable benefits, and then everyone needs to follow. But also what's been an incentive is that there's been transformation in some of these categories so that it sort of upended some of these sleepy categories. And what we and so they've jumped these buckets because some new brand has come in and said, "Hey, I see an opportunity here," and we've seen that in toothpaste, we've seen that in diapers a bit, we've seen that in sanitary protection. Uh, So there is an opportunity for transformation uh, around sustainability in some of these categories. There's also, as we discussed, an opportunity to communicate supply chain. I'm always surprised to see chocolate in the bottom category. And that's because actually there's pretty sustainable cocoa supply chains, but I think the real estate on the package is so small that it's difficult to communicate. An opportunity though for marketers to do that and uh, let consumers know that you're doing the right thing. The other thing that's come up recently is around carbon labeling. The In 2019, when we first started to even see an inkling of carbon labeling on pack, it was kind of negligible. And then in 2020, it rose to 
just under $2 billion, $1.7 billion in CPG. And then in 2021, we saw that double again to $3.4 billion. So big opportunity and an emerging area is uh, carbon labeling. Anywhere from talking about your product being made with 100% renewable energy to carbon uh, neutral or negative. And big, big opportunity there. The other area that's coming up that I hear about, but still I think manufacturers trying to figure out how to communicate it to consumers is around regenerative agriculture. So one of the things that I think is interesting here is that another opportunity is some of the third-party certification. You know, these mm-hmm. are companies that can validate the work that your brand is, your company is doing, but at the same time, they can help with some of that messaging, you know, maybe around carbon or even regenerative. They can help frame some of the messaging so that it is clear to consumers because you're right, there's some fuzzy, some fuzziness in, out there. Yeah, I think that that there is a skepticism around some of the claims being made, and there's a concern about greenwashing, but there's an equal concern about around, in my opinion, green hushing, uh, which we've kind of discussed, manufacturers being reluctant to talk about their change for whatever, for a variety of reasons. Uh, third-party certifications is an easy way to communicate that the claims that are being made are accurate not false and misleading. I have more uh, confidence that claims are be that are made on pack are accurate. And that's because if they are inaccurate, there are a lot of guardrails, including your competitors who will say these claims are false and misleading and uh, take legal action. And some of the legal action judgments, if they are false and misleading, can be really hefty, uh, anywhere from removing all your, uh, having you destroy all your packaging material to having you remove your finished goods from, from retail. So pretty significant. Yeah. No third party sort of gets around that. No company wants to go down that path. Excellent. So Randy, um, always a joy to speak with you. And even though I've worked on this research with you for a couple of years now, I continue to learn more. So thank you so much. Thank and- you, Joan. And I just think IRI is And now MPD is such a wonderful organization and just been a pleasure for partnership. So thank you. Yep. More fun to come. We'll keep building on it every year. So thanks again. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.